Hello, hello, hello? Yo-Yo, can you hear me? I guess not. You can't hear me, can you? Of course I can. <laughs> Good trick, Yo-Yo. Max, how are you? Guys, thanks so much. Sure. Well, how shall we do this? You ask us a question? Yeah! Yo-Yo Ma and Emmanuel X release a new recording of Beethoven's complete works for piano and cello via their Sony classical album titled Hope Amid Tears. Yo-Yo Ma and Emmanuel X are here with us to discuss this beautiful music, as well as the experience of creating it during the pandemic. That's, I think, a lot of the impetus for our making this recording now is really responding to the moment. Manny and I have been friends for 50 years, and we have a lot of experience, lived experiences to draw from. Lived with this music for over 40 years. And in a funny way, there seems to be real resonance between playing this music, which is so physical, and also at the same time so aspirationally humanistic. strives for the best of what we can be and because it's aspirational it's hopeful and because it's physical it requires effort for us to be hopeful and that combination leads us to think as we have felt that this is music that is helping us get through this moment and we hope that it will do so for others this is not another Beethoven 250th celebration album. No, the last 250th celebration was very different. It sure was. No internet then. <laughs> I guess we started recording them way back in 1981, and it was the first record we ever made, the first two sonatas. So it's been 40 years. We thought, well, aside from this being an especially somehow appropriate time to do Beethoven, we hope that the last 40 years have taught us something. say don't take experience away from the elderly it's the only thing they have left so with any luck the experience counts for something what i love about these sonatas is that you actually get three snapshots into three different times This is your second recording together of Beethoven's complete cello sonatas. I think, Manny, you came to me and said something incredibly interesting because you saw that in one of the earlier editions, Beethoven wrote kind of like a dedication. Yeah, the man who actually funded a great part of Beethoven's life in Vienna, a man named Leichenstein, the third cello sonata, the famous third cello sonata, was dedicated to him. And on his copy, Beethoven wrote, apparently, in amid tears and sorrow, a Latin quotation, inter lacrimas and 
I'm sorry, my Latin is not what it used to be, but it's amid tears and sorrow is the translation. My Latin is not what it's never been, but I will play for you amidst tears and sorrow. Here's what you hear. What you get is not tears and sorrow. What you get is something hopeful, beautiful, generous, looking toward wonderful things. And that is one of the things that's magical about Beethoven. The time he was writing this sonata, he was living in Vienna. The city was being bombarded by Napoleon's armies. In the midst of losing his own hearing, he could hear enough that he had to hide in a basement and cover his ears from the bombing, from the cannons. He was having all sorts of family trouble. The hearing was driving him crazy. And he was able to write this kind of music, this amazing, warm, beautiful, hopeful melody and such a positive and wonderful piece. It's a reflection of, I suppose, the times we're going through. There's not a more appropriate piece of music to play amid the tears and sorrows that we've been going through. Over time, we've become more human because, first of all, I think what joins all of us together is that none of us escape. Nobody escapes. We go through life, we love, we endure losses, we have health, we lose health, we lose people. Some people get it front-loaded, some people get it back-loaded, but we all have to go through it. And part of having lived life means that each stage that we go through, you share that stage with other people who have gone through the same things, including parenting, right? Including grandparenting. You know, you go through those stages and life feels differently than in the first blush of life. playing this music for 40 years or longer than that, as you return to them over and over and over again over the years, are there differences in the way that you hear the notes and the articulation and the tempi and are there awakenings that happen through the years? And one of the characteristics of great minds, great works by great minds, is that there are so many approaches to any of this music or literature. Thank you. 
we've been seeing Shakespeare plays for 400 years, and there's always another way to do them. I think the same is true of Beethoven, the same is true of almost anything that's lasted that kind of time. I guess if you've been doing it for 40 years, you've seen a lot of ways to do it. You've thought of a lot of ways to do it. of that maybe what i love about playing with Manny is the following that we can not rehearse or we could rehearse a lot we can talk or we don't talk i can look at him or we don't look at each other doesn't matter and he can come in one day and says yeah, yeah let's try this and say okay fine it didn't used to be that way always because we'd spend a lot of time fussing over little tiny details for a long time only to realize that after many hours of discussion we meant often the same thing but we had different vocabulary but in the end says oh yeah you meant this yeah, why didn't you tell me that four hours ago <laughs> we don't do that anymore because we now know there's so many ways to do things and we know each other's edges that is built on a history of trust because we know that eventually yeah well of course we'll find it we'll find the way and today could be this way your way or another day someone else's way or my way and these are all the roads lead to guys have been doing through 2020 and how active you've stayed. But I think what you're also talking about is you've got professional relationships, but the two of you, you've got the commonalities of your deep love for music. You're also great friends. You both have a great sense of humor. You have perspective on things. That's sort of an intangible that all musicians don't necessarily have the luxury of having. say 
luckiest things of my entire life has been getting to play with Yo-Yo and to be his friend. Love about Manny is the fact that he doesn't take himself that seriously, but he's at the same time extremely serious. So there's a lightness and heaviness and flexibility and paranoia <laughs> and great certitude all wrapped in one person, which means that we are incredibly playful with one another, which makes life working together and traveling together and just being together an awful lot of fun. On this recording, the sonatas are programmed in the order that they were composed, which of course traces Beethoven's arc as a composer. Well, I think Yo-Yo really wanted that kind of continuity, and it makes a lot of sense. Because, as he said, you're seeing snapshots of Beethoven at different times of his life. And these pieces are, in fact, very representative, I think, because he started as a great virtuoso. And the first two sonatas are very much an expression, first of all, of virtuosity, in a way from both instruments. They're very brilliant. that as a composer he was going to be very original. He wasn't going to follow necessarily in the footsteps of the great examples of Mozart and Haydn. Of course he took from them, but he went in different directions. very confident as a composer, in a way very positive and maybe more connected to the world as it was. He was still performing his own music. He wanted to make a large impression. And then when you go to the last sonatas, I think he's dealing with things that are perhaps beyond the here and now. Is that fair to say, Yoyo? That's a wonderful way of putting it. I think one of the things that you and I have been thinking about a lot is Beethoven's time when he was born in 1770. So he was six years old when the Declaration of Independence was signed. And he was 19 years old when the French Revolution started. And he was in his 20s when Napoleon invaded Vienna. Yeah. But why am I saying that? I think the context is that the people who actually were involved in signing the Declaration of Independence were basically in their 20s. A new country was formed. The French Revolution was an example of an emerging idea that, wait a minute, there is a kind of republicanism of people who want to actually be part of determining their fate. It was part of during the Enlightenment, which is, again, as a young person, Beethoven was exposed to people thinking, you know, we could solve many, many things through rational thinking and through exploring the world. People were thinking about what was a human being, what was a human being's relationship to society, what was society's responsibility towards a human, and what was the globe, what was nature. It was an age of great knowledge expansion and exploration. And Beethoven played a central part in, certainly he was involved in thinking about what all of this meant.
and at various times, we go through big changes. When a lot of things get determined, sort of say, this is what we think life is about, or what things ought to be. And then we settle down for a while, saying, okay, well, this is the way things are. And in some ways, Manny and I feel that here is a moment also, right now, of great changes, certainly because of the pandemic, in the same way that we went through that uh, over 100 years ago, in the same way that we went through that after World War II. Here's another huge moment of change. And the question is, is it a good time to look back and say, well, how did some people react to those changes? And what happened? What happened in the course of music? What kinds of music came out? And right now, we're thinking about that too. I think a lot of people are thinking about that. People talk about systemic change, punctuated equilibrium in evolutionary science. What does that mean culturally? And so much is being invented right now. But what are we going to do about it? And so, in some ways, it demands a renewed kind of humanism that has got to be optimistic, because without hope, we can't exist. We talk about how positive Beethoven's music is and his spirit, and this is someone who was beset with so many liabilities. Yeah. Well, that's what makes his achievements so remarkable. And when you think of his life as juxtaposed with his music, it gives us hope and it shows us that it's possible to do. And I guess it's a model to emulate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because we all go through hard times and a lot of people have gone through really hellish times during these past 15 months. about Beethoven's piano playing for a moment and his wizardry. Well, it's clear that before he became a well-known and respected composer, he was widely recognized as the greatest virtuoso of his day on the piano. What people really responded to was his improvisations not so much the stuff of other composers that he played, but the stuff he improvised. He would sit down at the piano, let his imagination go, and people were in tears, apparently. And I think a lot of that is reflected in the music that you have from him. The interesting thing is that he became someone who worked very meticulously on the music he published. 
he didn't simply improvise and put it out to the public. There are all kinds of sketchbooks that are available where you see the sheer amount of work of revision, of redoing, of thinking, of changing. It was a kind of combination of talents, the, the piano playing, the improvisation, and the ability to use those two elements in producing things that were meticulously crafted. Remarkable combination of talents. In a way, he was a master of both theory and practice. In practice, he could improvise, he could do incredibly virtuosic things. Yeah. In theory, as an architect, he could plan the most meticulous structures that will wow the person that needs that kind of spatial architecture. And between the two, he knew both high and low and he could take from both. You could say he was a jack of all trades and a master of all. And he was also egalitarian. Yes, he believed in egalitarianism, of course. First of all, because of all the reading he did, he had a wonderful teacher outside of music in his teenage years. And he read a lot of Enlightenment literature. He was very influenced by that. And Yo-Yo and I talked about why does he go to the idea of fugue and variation in his late works. There are so many variations. There are a number of fugues because both are, in a way, the most democratic. The fugue is a very democratic. There's no leader. There's no follower. Every voice has something to say. Variation is an open way of doing things because you're not restricted by the number of variations, you're not restricted by the length of variations. Another illustration of his egalitarianism. 
but he also was able to give us the sublime. It's really hard to describe sublime in music, in words, but to actually construct things in such a way that you get there. What's that wonderful phrase about, I think it was said in a totally different context. I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. That's what Beethoven's sublime is. Beethoven can take the thing that's so hard to define and he gives us actually each time a roadmap to get there. And he knew that road. He knew the road to the sublime. And boy, it's one of the most remarkable things. very, very proud of his ability to write variations. He never really sloughed them off. He never thought of them as pieces that were not important to him. You can see he put a lot of care into everything. They're incredibly inventive, virtuosic, difficult, <laughs> very, very hard to play. when you say the sublime. In each of these three variations, there's a slow variation that is sublime, absolutely sublime. He was very proud of these. Up until Beethoven's time, these sorts of pieces were really more virtuosic cello pieces. Yeah, the sonatas before Beethoven, in a way, were either virtuoso cello or virtuoso piano. One of the instruments was kind of an obligato, either an accompanist or an obligato. He was very interested in making these true partnerships. You hear it from the very beginning, and it certainly becomes more and more evident in the sonatas 3, 4, and 5. Sonata 3 starts with the cello alone, for example, sonata 4 as well. of voices rather than one person or one voice accompanied by another. Which is in fact also the basis of our partnership and our friendship. It started because of our mutual interest in saying, wait a minute, what happens in our sector is not often what we think is in the music. And so here is a violinist playing sonatas and he's an advertisement and there's no name of a pianist. So we thought, wait a minute, if Beethoven wants equality between the instruments, then we should actually have the systemic structure that reflects it. We should be 
equal partners. And of course, I often joke that a concert is that I would take Manny's score and I look at his one sonata, it takes 67 pages to play. And then I look at my score, it says, well, page seven, that's the end of the sonata. And there's an imbalance in terms of the number of notes. So however, Manny being the generous person he is, say, wait a minute, but the cello and, and piano are equal partners in spite of the number of notes. Herein lies the paradox and sublime part of democracy is that it's not about, you know, equality on everything, but it's about equality in terms of giving the dignity of equality to both instruments, even though sometimes the shares of notes, numbers of notes, are not evenly distributed. Less is more. (laughs) (laughs) I think Yo-Yo should run for office. Yo-Yo Ma, Maniacs, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to discuss your new Sony classical album, Hope Amid Tears, Beethoven's Complete Works for Piano and Cello. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Recording stopped.